You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. They say in real estate, there are three rules. Do you know what the three rules are? That's right, location, location, location. You might get a beautiful mansion, but if it's out in the desert, it's gonna be worthless. But if you get a great location and you've got an old shack on it, you can tear it down and build something that'll really be worth something, location. In raising children, there are three rules. Now you're all wishing you knew these three rules sooner, right? You know what they are? Example, example, example. And in the Christian life, there are three rules. Prayer, prayer, prayer. But it is possible for people to be born and raised in a church and not know how to pray. If you go with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 11, I just want you to notice this, we'll not spend all of our time here, but uh, something I hope will give us all a little bit of encouragement. Luke 11, verse 1. And it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now, these were adults. These were adults that were Israelites. They had grown up memorizing prayers. They had heard the scribes and the Pharisees praying long prayers. But when they saw John the Baptist pray, and when they saw Jesus pray, and Jesus sometimes would come from his place of prayer and his face was radiant with light and he had been energized and they could tell he had been in the presence of God, they said, wow, that really works. What we're doing doesn't seem to be working. Maybe we're not doing it right. Lord, teach us to pray. Some people go through their whole Christian experience and their simple, the single greatest struggle they have is they never really learn how to pray. The Bible tells us that uh, we are to be persistent in our prayers. Prayer is not something that you do where you, you know, you recite a, a Hail Mary or an Our, Fa Our Father from rote and, or say it over and over again. But prayer is really the deep cry from sincerity of your heart to the heart of God. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about the importance of prayer and the importance of praying persistently. I don't know if they have them anymore. I see you've got the fire extinguisher on the wall there, and maybe you've got one. Oh, I see one, maybe you've got one there. You ever seen these uh, little square boxes they've got in the halls of schools, and it says, in the event of emergency, break glass? Some people treat prayer that way. In the event of an emergency, well, maybe we should pray. And it's like the last thing Christians think of. Or how many of you have parked your car in some shopping mall or parking lot and you weren't really paying attention and you walk out afterward and you press the panic button on your keys to find your car? Who will admit that they've done that? Thank you. 
Who's done it, but you didn't want to admit it? <laughs> I saw another hand. Or you get on the airplane and you sit down and you notice a little tag on the chair and it says, in the event of an emergency landing, use your cushion for flotation. <laughs> we always think about prayer as this panic thing, this emergency thing that we do, where it really needs to be the breath of life for the Christian. The Bible talks about Noah and Abraham and Enoch that walked with God. That's what prayer means. It means that you live in an attitude of communion with God. And it, it's something that you do consistently and persistently. When Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? You know, that word faith is really talking about endurance. It's talking about persistence. He that endures to the end, the same will be saved. This is the patience of the saints. Christians show that we continue to, like Jacob, we wrestle with God and we will not let go. It's an attitude of living and walking, being aware of Jesus, who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But if the truth be told, a lot of us go through our day and we scarcely think about Jesus. If you could physically see him by you, it'd be hard to ignore. But he is by you. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you could see him by you all day long, you'd talk to him more. Am I right? He wants us to spend time in communion with them. Jesus shared several parables. Here's another from Luke. If you go to Luke chapter 11, same chapter, go to verse 5. They asked him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what does he do? Jesus takes them to a parable about persistence. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I've got nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within and say, don't trouble me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot give you. Now keep in mind in Bible times, a couple of things. One, uh, the way this is worded could be confusing. My children are with me in bed. That doesn't mean they had all nine kids in one bed with them. He's saying, along with me and ostensibly my wife, the children are also in bed. And he says, the door is shut. You might think, well, what's such a big deal about that? Well, right now we've got very sophisticated hardware on our doors where you just you know, open and shut the door, a little clink, turn on the knob. But back then, they used to kind of lift their doors. Not everyone could afford hinges. They might have some leather hinges or something, but they'd lift their doors into position, and then they'd bind them or secure them with a board and wrap it all up and tie it off. Talks about if you, you can't, the thief cannot enter the strong man's house. They used to secure their houses and tie them up for the night. So after you get your house all tied up for the night, it's kind of like here in Michigan when you, kid, you get your, you know, six-year-old all bundled up for school, and right after you get them all bundled up, they say, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so a fine time to tell me. So they get the house all bundled up, it's all tied off, it's all bolted, and then your friend says, hi, can you open the door and give me some bread? And he then explains why. He says, a friend has come to me. And I need three loaves. Now, in Bible times, it was considered um, 
really a custom and an obligation that you showed hospitality if a guest came, you were to provide for their needs. And there's several cases I could cite in the Bible where travelers stayed with someone, they said, let all your needs rest upon me. It was considered very poor hospitality if a traveler, you brought them in, you helped supply their needs. And he said, someone's come, I just didn't have enough, could you please help me? And he goes on and says, I say to you, though, he will not rise to give him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence. In other words, you know, Jesus says, seek, ask, and you'll receive. Knock, and it will be open to you. That means his friend is down there saying, Stanley, come on, Stanley, please. I'm your buddy, your friend. You got to help me out. I've got nowhere else to go. The stores are all closed can you please, three loaves, and you know, he's down, you're going, all right, you know. Now, if you're going to ask a favor and you've got to, you know, borrow something, you usually go to the neighbor that you know, right? A friend. Is Jesus our friend? Now, he's saying, e even if you, being humans, might be annoyed at a friend that wakes you up, how much more will God, is God ever bothered by us asking him for anything? Is there anything that you could ever do that would make God anxious? Can you ever picture God like wringing his hands or saying, oh, I'm just so stressed right now. Don't bother me now. Sometimes, you know, I'm traveling with Karen, I'm in the room, and she's sharing with me something, and I'll say, dear, I'm writing a note. Let me finish this, because I can't do two things at once. But God will never say that. He always gives you his undivided attention. God says, if you have a son, and he says, can I please have a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone? If you say, can I please have a fish, would you give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, Luke adds this one additional example. If he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, will get good, give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give? And the one thing he mentions is the Holy Spirit, which is the subject for tonight, so forget I ever said that. <laughs> how much more will he give to those that ask him? God is more willing to answer your prayers than you are to pray them. And prayer works. God has warehouses full of unanswered prayers with your name on it in heaven, and the angels are mystified that you're not wanting to make withdrawals. God is wanting to do miraculous things for you if we would ask him. But the asking does not mean necessarily once. When Jesus talks about ask, seek, knock, there in the Greek it implies it is ongoing. We continue to seek. We continue to knock. It says because of his persistence. So when they said, Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus said, keep at it. You know, the Bible says you'll search for me and you'll find me. What's the rest of that? If I've ever signed a book for you, I almost always put Jeremiah 29, 13. I don't even start with verse 11. I just go right to verse 13. You will search for me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. What's the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart. How do you demonstrate all of your heart? You stay after it. You know, when I wanted Karen to date me, um, I did something really corny. I don't handle rejection very well. So I bought a date. 
I got a big Majul date, a really good one. I put it in a nice plastic case. I think I put a red bow around it or something like that. Then I attached a note and I said, would you like to date? I said, do you want to date? <laughs> and uh, she was going through all her knickknacks and she found it. I said, you never ate the date? She said, no, I'm saving it. Her mother still has pieces of our wedding. We've been married 30 years. Her mother still has pieces of our wedding cake. After 10 years, she made us eat a piece in her freezer. It was awful. She tried to get us to do it after our 30th. We said, no. There's a lot going around this year. We're not going to eat 30-year-old wedding cake. But I stayed after her. Why? And you know what? <clears throat> I think she liked that. I could be wrong, but I think women like to be pursued because they want to know they're wanted. Is God any different? <clears throat> this is how love works. God wants to know, do we want him? So don't pray in such a casual, uh, brief, flippant way with the Almighty. Seek after the Lord that he might be found. Call upon him. You know, it says, all that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And someone thinks that that means that at the end of your life, if you just ha happen to mention Jesus' name, God is then obligated to save you. They totally misunderstand that verse. All they call upon the name of the Lord, the word call there is talking about all those who have a life of calling upon God will be saved. It's not a one-time call. The people who are people who are calling on God will be saved. This is what it means to walk with the Lord, to persist. Psalm 55, verse 17, Evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he will hear my voice. The reason that Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, when he knew that the writing was signed, he went into his upper room and he knelt upon his wee knees, his windows being opened towards Jerusalem, and he prayed three times as he had done since he was a child. He had learned to be persistent and consistent in prayer. I went to pick up Karen for, at the airport, and, um, you know, now you can't just pull up. you got to kind of wait till they land, and then you get the text, and you come and you pick them up. And... Uh, while I'm waiting in the parking lot there, all these cars are there parked. They're kind of waiting for the text that I've got my bags. You can come get me now. And I saw this man get out of his car, and he took out a little mat that was rolled up, and he unrolled the mat, and then he walked over to, there was an outside, one of these plastic outhouses, and it had a hand-washing apparatus next to it. And he washed his hands, he washed his feet, and all these cars are parked, and they're all watching he went over to his mat, he got down on his knees, and he prayed, and he bowed towards Mecca, a dedicated Muslim. And while I would respectfully disagree with what his religion is, I had to admire his boldness that he was not afraid to pray. And he, his God had a priority. Would to the Lord that God's people had at least that much dedication about prayer but not to just do it as a ritual, but do it as a way of life where we're constantly a people who are walking with God and talking with God. You know that song, In the Garden. Christians go out to eat and 
We kind of look around, we wait until nobody's looking, and we kind of lower our head just for a second. And we lift it up and say, I prayed. I heard about this uh, old Mennonite farmer, and he went into this cafe, and he bowed his head, and he prayed out loud, and some teenagers were sitting at a booth over there. And uh, they started to giggle and laugh at this old Mennonite man who was praying out loud, asking God to bless his food before he ate. And one of the wise guys among the teenagers, he said, old man, does everybody pray like that before they eat? He said, no, son, hogs don't do it. <laughs> don't be afraid to let your light shine. In the book Steps to Christ, there's a great quote. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all of your plans to him to be carried out or given up as his providence shall indicate. Thus, day by day, you might be giving yourself, your life into the hands of God, and thus your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ, day by day. Now, there's a time for prayer. I talked about praying without ceasing, but I think you should at least have regular times. You can't go around all day long with your head bowed, you'll bump into things, or be on your knees all the time. But you should also have regular times. It's not bad to be religious. People think that, you know, being regimented about something means that you're religious, and religion is bad. It is good to have regular times of prayer. So what Daniel did, morning, evening, and at noon. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, now Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was probably about 3 o'clock, but they had an hour of prayer. We sing that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, but honestly, very few Christians pray an hour a day. Many of us kind of just mumble a little something, and it's often the same thing before we dart out the door. How many of you have heard uh, someone in your church, and when it's their time to pray, they always seem to say the same thing. You can almost, I had an elder, and uh, you won't know who he is. He's been gone a long time, actually. But whenever he prayed, I've just about memorized his prayer. And I used to think, if I was God, would that prayer mean anything to me? Because he keeps saying the same thing. Now, it's okay if you're praying like for your kids, or if you're praying for a particular problem, you can pray more than once for the same thing. I'm talking about just repeating the same prayer. I think we ought to challenge ourselves, whether you're asking God to bless the food or whether you're having your morning prayer or your evening prayer, that you mix it up. I mean, if I had a conversation with a friend and we always had the same conversation, then it would start getting old after a while, right? What makes friends friends is that you're sharing new things. You're opening your hearts. You're making it interesting. And our prayers with God should be that way. He says, come, let us reason together. Think when you pray. If you keep saying the same thing, say, Lord, give me some new words. I know you're tired of hearing that old prayer. And he will. I've actually plagiarized prayers. I heard some other people pray some beautiful prayers before they eat, and I thought, that used to be yours. It's now ours. <laughs> and so let prayer be from the heart. You can have regular times of prayer, but it, it doesn't have to always be the same words. Luther's habit was he proposed praying twice a day, the first business of the morning and the last at night. John Wesley had a strict habit of spending one hour in prayer in the morning, then another hour in the evening. 
Someone said he shook the world by his preaching because he first shook heaven and hell with his praying. His preaching had a sense of eternal urgency because he had touched eternity on his knees. George Whitfield said, Believers keep up and maintain their walk with God by secret prayer. What did I tell you the three rules are? Prayer, prayer, prayer. Believers keep up their walk with God by secret prayer. That means the personal prayer. The spirit of grace is always accompanied with the spirit of supplication. It's the very breath of the new creature, the fan of the divine life, whereby the spark of holy fire kindled in the soul by God is not only kept in but raised into a flame. Some of us have just a spark of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you want to fan it into a flame, that happens through prayer. Talking to the Lord. I like the way Spurgeon put this. Prayer pulls down the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so lazily, others give only an occasional jerk on the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls with all of his weight. Kind of like that old picture of Quasimodo in the hunchback of Notre Dame who's swinging from the rope with his weight. That rope of prayer, putting all of our our heart and our soul into it. Jacob said, I will not let thee go except you bless me, wrestling with God in prayer. And I think we'd see more marvelous answers. You know what? One, the one thing that makes your prayers eloquent with God, you don't have to have a fancy vocabulary. Anyone who's listened to me knows that. But what really makes your prayers eloquent with God is your desperate need. If you have an urgent need, if your heart is mixed up in your prayer, that's what the Lord really wants. One of the reasons I came to believe prayer, you've probably read in my testimony book, is, is I had an amazing answer to prayer. I've had many, many amazing answers to prayer. But um, I had been hitchhiking on the road, and I got stuck in Oklahoma, and I stood on the interstate for hours, freezing. Sometimes God will make you wait. And uh, after hours, I just, I was desperate. I thought, I'm going to die out here. Something has to change. Nobody would pick me up. I was, it was freezing cold. I was hungry. I was a little hungover, to tell the truth. I had no money, no prospects. And I said, Lord, I've been a terrible person. And God, if you're there, I didn't know about the Bible and Jesus. I said, will you please ha help me? And if I'm going to ask, let me be specific. I said, I need a ride to California. I need some food, I need some money, and please help me get a ride with someone normal. Because I got picked up by some really strange characters. And uh, the next vehicle, right after I prayed, picked me up. I thought, wow. And he fed me all the way to California, he drove me to California, to the door of where I was going. And he gave me $40 when he dropped me off, and he preached to me all the way from <laughs> Oklahoma to California. That was one thing I did not pray for. <laughs> but looking back now, you know, God waited until I was desperate. But I've just seen so many amazing miracles to prayer that um, I'm surprised, and I know God is, that we pray so little. Pray persistently. Luke, again, Jesus talks a lot about this here. Go to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Just what he means. Pray always. 
Don't lose heart. Well, don't, why, why would he say don't lose heart? If you don't get an answer right away and you're praying according to God's will, keep praying. Persist in your prayers. Then he shares an illustration. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came and said to him, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. So there's this judge, and he's the dishonest judge. He doesn't fear God. He takes bribes. And he only takes care of important cases with rich people because they can pay the biggest bribes. Well, this widow comes, and she's been mistreated by somebody, and she's got a just case, but she, she's a poor widow. She can't really help him financially. So he said, look, you know, don't bother me. Just keeps putting her off and putting her off. But bless her heart, she kept coming, and she kept coming, and she kept coming. And uh, she persisted. Get justice for me. Now, the word adversary... Do you know the word Satan is the word adversary? Get justice for me from my adversary. How many of you have been harassed by the adversary? And you want deliverance. He would not for a while, but afterward. He said within himself, though I don't fear God or man, he admits it freely. Yet because this widow troubles me, I'll avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now, will you ever weary God? God is not wearied. He does not slumber or sleep. He's saying even humans will respond to persistence just to get you to leave them alone. How much more will God, who wants to answer your prayers, answer your prayers? Why does he make us persist in prayer? Because he didn't hear us the first time? Does prayer bring God down to us or does it lift us up to God? Sometimes God does not answer our prayers right away because every time you pray, you are humbling yourself. Every time you pray like jacking up a jack, you are ratcheting yourself closer to heaven. You don't know it, but that's how it works. So by God sometimes requiring you to continue to persist in prayer, your faith is being strengthened, you're being drawn closer to God, and he knows you need it. So you keep praying, keep praying. You know, there's a lot of stories in the Bible about how people persisted in prayer and then God answered their prayers after a long time. I, uh, I remember hearing that the Navy have this apparatus that if a submarine sinks and they got to get it off the bottom, they've got these very well-made nylon bags. And they take these bags down with divers or submersible equipment, and they hook them on the submarine, and then they fill them with little bubbles. And as these bags begin to inflate with bubbles, the incredible power of displacement of the air in those bags eventually works against the weight of the submarine, and these little bubbles lift submarines off the bottom of the ocean. A grandmother with a bicycle pump, she got a long enough tube, can lift a submarine. Through every time she pumps a little air in that bag, it starts pulling up more and more and more. And that's how our prayers are. Every time we pray, some people 
have been storing prayers in heaven for loved ones, for children, and God may not even make a withdrawal on those prayers until you're dead and gone. But they're there, and it makes a difference. I always think about Hezekiah. He's a good king. He had a son, Manasseh, that was a scoundrel. But I think Hezekiah knew that his son was going to be trouble, and he stored prayers in heaven for him. And it wasn't until later in his life Manasseh went through a dramatic conversion. And I think there's a number of other cases of that. George Mueller said he prayed for one friend for 50 years, and then he was converted. And then there's another friend that George Mueller said, he said, I've been praying for this man for over 50 years. And at the funeral of Mueller, the man gave his heart to the Lord after he was dead. So do not cease praying. God can do great things as we persist in prayer. John 15, verse 4, Christ says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What does it mean to abide in Christ? You know, the single most simple explanation is to trust in him and to continue to commune with him. As you are communing with Christ, you are abiding in Christ. He's walking with you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out. The branches withered, and they gather them up and throw them in the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, catch this, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. Abide, 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 answer. Continue to abide, abide some more, abide a little longer, answer. He says, if you abide in me, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. What a wonderful promise. I hope that's underlined in your Bible. There's a lot of promises that God answers prayer. One of them is, of course, to abide in him. An evangelist once asked if his mother ever spanked him. He replied that she had a strap in the kitchen and a sign was above it, and it said, I need thee every hour. <laughs> Romans 12:12. 12, 12. Look at these verses about persisting in prayer. Romans 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, after it talks about the armor of God, says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. What does that mean? Persistence, continuing, do not give up. In your prayers, some prayers do not get answered because the person stops praying five minutes too soon. Big prayers. And the angel was just getting ready to, to pull the ring on the grenade and give you your answer, and you stopped. Colossians 4, verse 2, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. I always thought it was amazing. It says, when Daniel knew the writing was signed that he was going to go to the lion's den, if he's caught praying, he went to his upper room and he prayed and gave thanks. Daniel was about to be given to the lions and he gave thanks. So is thanksgiving part of prayer when things are going well only? Or is thanksgiving part of your prayer all the time? Does the Bible say in all things give thanks? 
Whatever, I mean, if you're God's, whatever he brings to you is ultimately going to be your, for your eternal good. Do you know everything that you go through in life is going to work out to be a blessing for you or God is going to bless someone through you? Whatever trials you might be going through, God is going to use it to save you or he's going to save someone else through you. So thank him if you trust him. Luke 21:36. Watch therefore and pray always that you might be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. This is in Luke 21 where he talks about signs of the second coming and the end of the world. How does Jesus appeal to his people at the end of time? Watch, pray always that you might be accounted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. There's going to be a lot of temptation, a lot of distraction in the world in the last days. We need to be watching and praying. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter 13, when Jesus talks about the second coming, he says four or five times, watch, 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 watch. What does he mean by watch? It doesn't mean just train your binoculars. Jesus said to the apostles in the garden, he says, come watch and pray with me. And they kept falling asleep. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch unto prayer. Paul says, be sober, be vigilant. What does he mean, being vigilant? He's not, I used to be a security guard, and sometimes it is so hard. I mean, I had the graveyard shift, and I was guarding boring construction sites where nothing was happening. I had to stay awake all night long. I tell you what, it's, it's hard to stay awake and watch two-by-fours <laughs> all night long. And I remember struggling, trying all these creative things to stay awake. If you didn't know it, you can fall asleep standing up. I got so tired sometimes. Be vigilant, be sober, because the devil waits until you go to sleep. When does the bridegroom come? Now, in the, that parable in Matthew 25, Jesus said that there's uh, 10 virgins. What percentage of them were wise? Half. What percent of them were foolish? Half. What percent of them went to sleep? Jesus says, watch, be sober, be vigilant. If the devil's trying to do anything in the last days of the church, he's trying to put us to sleep. How does he put us to sleep? We stop praying. We stop watching unto prayer. Psalm 88, verse 1, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. This is David crying out day and night. James 5, 16, confess your trespass one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, when he says that, he goes on then to talk about Elijah, who is a man subject to like passions as you and me, but he prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years because he was praying it would bring revival to the people, and they'd stop trusting in Baal. Then he prayed again. And, you know, I want to go there with you real quick. And I, I, I see that we're wrapping up here. But if you go to um, 1 Kings chapter 18, it tells us that Elijah offers his prayer, verse 36, came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and he prays. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, in Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people might know that you are the Lord God and that you've turned their hearts back to you again. 
Do you know, I could actually say that whole prayer in one breath. That prayer probably takes less than 15 or 20 seconds. He prays that brief prayer at the end of a whole day of the Baal priest ranting and raving and leaping and shouting and chanting, oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, hear us, cutting themselves with lances. Nothing happened. Elijah prays a simple, heartfelt prayer, and out of a cloudless sky, lightning comes down and consumes the sacrifice. You know why he only needed that brief prayer? Because he had been praying for years. That's all it took. He'd stored it up. And then after he prays that prayer, he tells the king Ahab, verse 41, Elijah says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of an abundance of rain. The sky is still completely brazen. There's no clouds. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. After, you know, if I was a king, after seeing that miracle and after knowing that I had led the people in apostasy for three and a half years, I'd be fasting. The king goes up to eat and drink, but Elijah goes to pray. Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel and he gets on his knees. He says, there's a sound of an abundance of rain. And the king thought, I don't hear anything. He said that by faith. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he, I've been to that place. And he bowed down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees, praying. He says to his servant, go up, now look. The storms always came from the um, west over the sea there. He said, there's nothing. He said, go look again. Nothing. Look again. And finally, after seven times, he says, a little cloud. Elijah said, that's what I was waiting for. It's going to happen now. And he tells, Eli tells Ahab, he says, you better head for the hills. There's a sound of an abundance of rain. And sure enough, the clouds came. And the sky grew black and the thunder cracked. And they just had a downpour. We had a little downpour on our way here. Now, sometimes you turn your wipers on mist. Sometimes you turn your wipers on one regular. Sometimes you turn your wipers on full speed. Sometimes you have to pull over and stop. We didn't pull over and stop, but it was a pretty good rain. And the rain came. This is because of the prayers of one person. What does James say? He was just like you and me. What made him different? He was a man of prayer. Elijah prayed. And God wants us to have that kind of experience with him. You know, there are a number of promises. Why should the sons and daughters of God be reluctant to pray when prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse, where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence? Without unceasing prayer and diligent watching, we are in danger of growing careless, going to sleep, and of deviating from the right path. The adversary seeks continually to obstruct the way to the mercy seat that we may not, by earnest supplication and faith, obtain grace and power to resist temptation. Never is the devil more afraid than when God's people are praying. Spurgeon said, when I think about the great men of prayer who, accompany, who accomplished great things for God, I think of Elijah. Here is a man who called down fire from heaven. He brought a widow's son back to life. He ran faster than a horse. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights on the strength of one meal. When he came to the widow's house, he told her to feed him. 
And when she did, her jar of flour and oil did not run dry until the famine was over. He personally and boldly stood up to the wicked king Ahab and Queen Jezebel. This man didn't even die. When it was time for him to go, a chariot of fire came down and took him to heaven in a whirlwind. That's a man of prayer. Prayer works. God answers prayer. He is a living God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And those great answers to prayer that you see in the Bible, they still happen today. And let me share one little story I read reading a book by F.B. Meyer. And he tells a story that he was on a cruise boat. They didn't have airplanes back when he was in ministry. And he was traveling across the ocean. And he was traveling second class. But he was a pretty well-known pastor at the time. And someone said, Pastor Meyer, the people in first class would like to know if you'd come up and you'd share a little message with them. He said, I'd be happy to. So he went up into first class and this one man was sort of smirking as he preached, and he, he shared this message and talked about the power of prayer. And, and uh, someone asked their friend, who had been laughing, they said, didn't you enjoy Pastor Meyer's talk on prayer? He said, no, I'm an, I'm an agnostic or an atheist. I didn't believe a word of it. Well, the others were very moved by it. And then word came, and they said, the people in third class want to know if you can come down and talk to them. He said, I'd be happy to. And so he was on his way down to third class to talk to them. And some of the first class passengers said, we want to hear it. And they went down to third class. And the atheists started going down. And they said, uh, you're going to go hear him? I thought you said you didn't believe a word of it. He said, oh, I'm going to listen to see what the babbler has to say. Well, this man, I guess, was quite a character. And he had a couple of oranges in his pocket as he was on his way down. He saw a lady was laying on the deck before they went down the stairs. There was an old lady who was laying in one of these deck chairs. She was sound asleep with her hands down by her side. And he carefully took an orange and he put it in each one of her hands. And he thought it was going to be an interesting prank, harmless. So he goes down to third class and Meyer preaches another message. And he talks about prayer and that God's a living God and God answers prayer. And this guy's the Holy Spirit's working on him, but he's resisting the power of the Spirit. He goes back upstairs and he remembered the woman. He saw her up on the deck and she is smiling and he kind of winks. He said, Grandma, why are you so happy? She said, my father gave me this amazing answer to prayer. He said, well, surely your father's not still alive. She said, no, my heavenly father. She says, I've been up on deck because I've been seasick for two days. And I've not been able to eat anything. And I thought, oh, Lord, if I could only have an orange. And I was praying, Lord, if I could just have an orange. But they said they had no oranges on board. And she says, I woke up and I had two oranges. <laughs> and the man said, uh, Madam, I've got to tell you, I'm the one that put the oranges in your hands and I don't really believe in God. She said, oh, praise the Lord. He can even use the devil to answer my prayers. <laughs> that man came around and ended up believing in the power of prayer. You know, when we get to heaven, I think one of the regrets that the redeemed are going to have is that we did not take advantage of the infinite resources that God wants to make available to you. He is so much more willing to answer our prayers than we are to pray Him. God wants us to pray and don't give up. Continue to pray. One time this father could not, disciples could not cast the devil out of his son. And the disciples said Jesus, they asked him later after Christ cast the devil out, they said, why could we not do it? He said, this kind does not come forth except by prayer and fasting. Do you realize you cannot fast in five minutes? Well, I fast five minutes every day. 
you realize fasting means a little time. So when Jesus talks about fasting in prayer, he's talking about a while of praying. God is calling his people to spend more time in prayer, and we will get bigger answers. You're going to see more miracles. You'll see more people converted to the faith. God wants to baptize his church with the Holy Spirit. And I believe you'll learn a little more tonight that that is going to come in answer to prayer. How many of you would like to join me in saying, Lord, teach us to pray? We want to learn to pray. Why don't we stand? I'd like to have a prayer for you before we sing our closing song. Loving Lord, we want to begin by, again, asking you to forgive us. Like the disciples at this crucial time, it seems we go to sleep when we should be praying. There on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, the disciples went to sleep. In the garden with Jesus, they went to sleep. And here we are on the threshold of eternity and your church is snoring. Lord, forgive us. Help us to wake up and hear that cry, the bridegroom is coming. To start praying like we've never prayed. To wrestle like Jacob and not let go. I pray that you'll bless each of these people, Lord, and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we ask you through your spirit, through your word, teach us to pray. Let there be revival in our lives, in our families. Help us to see answers to our prayers and just be present here in this camp meeting. We thank you and ask in Christ's name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.